0: Coming up on today's show, nothing is left to chance when you walk into a supermarket. Everything is where it is for a reason. There is going to be a big change at our border coming up this weekend. Truckers will no longer be allowed to pass into Canada if they aren't vaccinated. And advocates for victims of crime in Alberta say that more financial support is needed. We're going to be chatting with um, Paco Underhill right now. Now, Paco, is an author and much more than that. His latest book is "How We Eat: The Brave New World of Food and Drink." Um, Paco, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for thank you for having me. Um, before we get started, on we're going to be talking about the changing face of supermarkets and things like that. But I want to talk about just some of the information you passed along in the piece that you recently did in Globe and Mail about how I mean when we go grocery shopping, Paco. We're being manipulated, essentially, from the time we walk through the door, right? Nothing is left to chance.
1: Everything in, in organized retail is where it is for a purpose, which is to hold us longer and to see if they can get more money out of our pockets. So let's just go right. through. That's the, that is the premise of organized retail. Whether you're at grocery, you're at drug, you're at
0: fashion, or you're at your local gas gas station. And this is all studied and it's all calculated and they know what works and what doesn't. Some of the things you mentioned, I'm um, like dairy has to be in the corner, the back corner of the store farthest from the front door, right? Historically, when we
1: invented the grocery store in the 1930s, the dairy, the dairy case was the farthest refrigerated case away from the front door. The premise being is that a remarkable number of people walk in the door looking to buy some
0: form of milk. Yeah. And this way we get them to the back of the store. It's... it's I mean, give us your top three. What are the top three universal truths in supermarket design that maybe we're not aware of, but we like when you mentioned the dairy and I thought about every grocery store I've been in and I was right, yeah, absolutely. That's how it's laid out. What are the top three universal truths of a supermarket?
1: okay let's 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 just start with a couple of things. First of all, part of what grocery does is to see if they can turn on our senses. The reason why you walk in the door and smell the bakery or you smell flowers is to is to get your uh, saliva glands working. Those of us who smell good smells tend to buy more. Those of us who sample uh, when somebody gives us a little something yeah. it isn't that they're trying to get us to buy what we've sampled it's that knowing that people who sample their average purchase at the register tends to be higher. Um, we know that produce tends to be theatrically lit; it looks better sitting in the produce department than it will ever look at your <laughs> at at your home. Very true. Um, part of what we know also is that uh, they know that many moms have to go shopping with their kids. And there's a wine factor, um, and that they're stuff put at a deliberate height for your kids to see, for them to advocate for.
0: And I mean, like to the location on the shelf. So I mean, you've got the wine category. You've also got, you know, do, do companies actually pay premiums to be at eye level? Is there really something to top shelf? Is is that a thing? Um, there
1: is something called. Slotting, slotting fees, which is where most organized groceries actually make most of their money, wow. which is that the food manufacturers pay for a specific location on the shelf. So generally, if you want to shop for bargains, either look up or look
0: down. <laughs> don't look where they uh, is easiest. Now, what? how has the pandemic changed this, Paco? I mean, I know a lot of people, and even in my own house, we didn't go to the grocery store as much. We did some of the online shopping or, you know, uh, the delivery or the pickup or things like that. So is there, has there been enough of a change in our shopping habits to force supermarkets to change what they do?
1: Well, I think part of what the pandemic has done is to accelerate a series of changes that were already happening. Okay. Uh, Part of what we know, for example, is that the number of homes in North uh, America where the woman is the dominant bread earner goes up with each passing month. So part of what we're looking at is super markets that historically were owned by men, designed by men, managed by men, and yet the female was the dominant shopper Part of what we're having to ask the question is what makes something female-friendly? Part of what we know is that your wife is desperately trying to look after your kids, look after you, look after the home, Mm -hmm. and also to do a significant part of the household shopping. Can order online and pick up at the store be streamlined? The answer is unequivocally yes. It can be streamlined both from the standpoint of the customer, but also from the stand
0: standpoint of the grocer. How so? What can they do I mean, how can they make... it's pretty easy as it is, Paco. For us anyway. You know something, it
1: could be a lot easier. <laughs> Some how of so? it is just thinking about the conceptual distance between the truck bay in the back of the store and the trunk of your car. Is there something that we could do to uh you know, put a pickup point at the far end of the parking parking lot where you simply drove through and it was loaded in the back of your car. And therefore, the labor cost wasn't one person coming out a side door, rolling that basket to you personally, but somebody bringing a truckload of stuff out to a place where one person puts it in the back of your car. I is there something that we could learn from the evolution of fast food drive through The answer is yes. Hmm. Is 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 there a
0: way that we could manage the parking lot better? The answer is also yes. What about if you're a supermarket chain or a supermarket manager? Is there resistance to do this because they've got a pretty good thing going, or is there benefit to them too?
1: There is a benefit to them. Part of what we have to recognize is that the cutting edge of supermarket design left North America a long time ago. Really? If you go to Mexico, you go to Brazil, or you go to Dubai, part of what has happened is people have come, looked at Toronto, at New York, at California, and gone back to their own countries and re-in, reinvented. But if I ask a, a typical... Supermarket executive at Loblaw's. When was the last time you you went to a modern supermarket in Mexico City? They answer never.
0: Yeah. What are you seeing in those other locations? What are they doing differently? What are the advancements that they've put in? Well,
1: some of it is how do you do signage? How do you use the floor of the super supermarket to better educate? Um, is there a way to be able to help people get in and get out faster? And the answer to all of those questions is yes. For example, I was in a Mexican supermarket that was designed to be forklift friendly, meaning that a forklift truck could come out during off hours, put an end cap or shelving unit, move it to a back room where a team got to restock it and it got moved back out on the floor. And the number of hours it took to restock a shelf was down considerably. I was in a South American chain where, based on their customer surveys, they realized that if they moved cleaning of the store from strictly off hours to all during the day, that their cleanliness uh, report card would get better. Because people would see it happening. Ah, Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Doesn't it? Also, how do I do visual merchandising in a way that is, uh helps people understand the connection between things? So that I have a display that has bread, cheese, and wine on it. Yeah. I have. I go into a beer section, and there's signage which tells you what kind of beer goes better with what kinds of foods. All of us know, in the wine category, I drink red wine with this. Yes, I drink yeah. white wine with that. But how many of us know, what do I do with a lager versus an IPA?
0: True, true. A couple of questions from listeners, Paco. We're we're always told, I mean, there's different choices around the outside of a supermarket. And if you think about it, that's produce, fresh meats, dairy, and bakery typically. Why is that kind of... Why is it set up the way that it is?
1: Well, it's, you know, based on the 1930s um, use of refrigerated cases and uh, electrical outlets. In 2022 the the idea that I can put cereal, yogurt, and blueberries all in the same place makes an enormous amount of sense, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of the points you made in your, in your piece, and I found it interesting, is they know that we shop basically on three levels. There's our list, what should have been on our list, and then the impulse stuff. Walk us through that. I mean, how important is that to the way that the supermarket's built?
1: Well, if you if you think of your local, you know, Loblaws or sobies or Walmart or Target, you walk into the grocery section and there's a huge power display, okay, of carbonated beverages. Always. Is that there for me to buy carbonated beverages off of, or is it for me to consider should carbonated beverages have been on my list today? You know, the example that I give is my kids are coming back from um, winter vacation. Do I want them drinking beer or would I rather have them drink Diet Pepsi? Right. Um, You know, part of what we know is is that people recognize what our sight lines are and they recognize that, that old, very provocative line in French that says, Je vous propose. And I walk past it, and I keep thinking
0: about it. It just plants that seed, and gets you thinking. That plant that seed, it gets you thinking. Absolutely right. Interesting and, and, and helpful. Good information to have, Paco. I can't thank you enough for your time. I'll we'll have to do this again and go through more of this stuff. I really you know, appreciate it.
1: Part, part, part of the reason why I wrote this book is to help people get to a healthier version of themselves and to a healthier version of the planet. It's a funny, uh, anecdotal book that will help change your
0: prescription on how you see food and beverages. It really does. It absolutely does. Paco, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for your time. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That's Paco Underhill, author. His latest book is How We Eat, The Brave New World of Food and Drink. Coming up on this Saturday, things change for truckers. They have been essential workers right from the beginning of this pandemic. You know that. Um, They've always been able to cross the border when others haven't, on and on the list goes. Not anymore. Not as of Saturday. Things are going to change as of January 15th, where any truck driver that wants to come into Canada will need to be vaccinated. If not, they'll have to quarantine for 14 days. And there's a tremendous number of people that are saying, we're doing this at a time when we know we have supply chain issues and all the rest. So um, why are we doing this? And are we only causing ourselves, you know, even more problems? So to tell us a bit about what's going on, what the situation is, we have Amrit Gruel, who is with the Canadian Truckers Association joining us this morning. Uh, Amrit, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Good morning. Sir. So we got this mandate kicking in on Saturday. Just how much of an impact are you anticipating um, this is going to have? How big of a change will it be?
2: Like you said, it's the timing of it. Uh, we're going through this uh, wave of uh, the new, new uh, the new variant. So. Yeah it it's the timing of it which is really concerning um yes uh, the mandate was going to be kicked in uh, because uh, this is uh, this is basically uh you know one glove fit for all because it was also mandated for every other essential um workers also but uh the timing and the supply chain issues within, yeah i think even the the shoppers, everybody knows uh, the the the, the screen which is on uh, anything you're buying these days. So it's the timing. So how much is it going to be affected? Um, is, is the people that are going to be opt out out of uh, coming into Canada on the fifteenth, and vice versa um, on the on January twenty second. Right. That's when uh, uh, US starts its. But it it should have been and it could have been delayed due to what we're going through with this wave right now.
0: Yeah, and a lot of uh, industry groups um, asking for that, opposition parties asking for some consideration to possibly delay it. Um, in terms of numbers, um, I, I know that um, your group is saying uh, approximately 10%, maybe 16,000 drivers. The government's saying ah 5,000 drivers. They don't think it's going to be much of a... An impact. Is there any way of putting an accurate number on there? I mean, do we know how many drivers may be off the road coming up on Saturday morning?
2: Yeah, the that ten percent came off of an article off of uh, CTV News. So that ten percent is is some kind. It's, it's somewhat measured there, but it could be more because a lot of uh, companies, a lot of a lot of uh, people are uh, waking up to this news this week. So you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have uh, probably around that that, that figure, which is ten percent of of the whole workforce is sixteen thousand that are crossing the border. It could be sixteen to twenty by all means.
0: You know, and we know which is a big
2: disruption. That's a huge. If you look at if you if you look at the number of trucks going into the U.S. and then coming back with the goods into Canada, that's a huge number.
0: Well, and the thing, Amrit, is we've done many shows before talking about the fact that we're short drivers anyway uh, without this new mandate, without Absolutely. this limitation.
2: Absolutely. And, and 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 this is going to uh, put an extra strain on our, uh, cost, first of all, availability of goods. Then it's going to be an extra strain of cost of goods, which is going to start reflecting probably with in a week or so also and we've already seen our our grocery shelves and uh, it's, it's predicted for i think it was 4.5 percent increase but i see it greater i think those are just numbers in the papers mm-hmm. but if you've been looking at your wallet if you've been looking at your your uh, spending uh, i think every consumer every shopper has been feeling it and with this strain if it um if it uh, hits big, it's going to be a problem.
0: So, uh, explain to me how you understand this is going to work. Basically, if you show up at the Canadian border and you're a Canadian driver, you will be allowed in, but you'll have to quarantine. But if you're not a Canadian driver, you can't even get across the border with your load, right? I
2: think quarantine's out of question. Uh, quarantine's out of question uh, because uh, of, of the deadlines of freight sure. and and, uh, and the pickups and the drops. Uh, quarantine's out of question. Uh, so when uh, when a driver uh, pulls up to the booth and they do not have uh, the the recommended uh, either of the vaccines, I think it's about four or five to name, uh, you would be turned back. And another thing is now you're going to have a border delay. And we've seen that in the past. We've seen huge lineups. So uh, people being turned back with border delay, uh, it's going uh, to be a week of uh, uh, long lineups yeah. and uh, a, lot of be- a lot of people being turned back.
0: Now, as you said, on the 22nd, it comes in the other way, right? The U.S. is putting in the exact White same part, sort yeah. of thing?
2: Yeah, yes. So uh, that's what I mean. I think they, they did space it a week. Maybe they're, you know, we're going to test how this one goes, but uh, the basic thing was we knew this going was going to be across the board once this pandemic is going on. Uh, even the healthcare workers, uh, went through this, uh, a while back just uh, right after summer. Uh, but at the timing, I think it's the most important, uh, the conversation. Of this is the timing of this right now, where uh, uh, the the vast number of, uh, of of the positive cases that are going on, which is already putting a strain on on uh, on productions, supply chain, uh, banking. Any sector, you name it, right now is is short-staffed because of uh, people getting infected. I think this could have been avoided.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, in in terms of timing, this is a disaster. I know, as you said, some trucking organizations have said, give us more time. Just put in a delay. To get more of our drivers vaccinated, do you really think? I mean, if we're 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 over a year now with the vaccines available, if they're not vaccinated at this point, are, are we really going to move that needle at all? Do you think, or is this just people who don't want to be vaccinated?
2: I think uh, I think it might be people who do not want to be vaccinated versus people who are on the borderline. Uh, um, I'm not saying that they weren't educated enough. It's it's uh, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a it's a dilemma. Uh, we we've gone through. I think personally too. You're looking at some news, and 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 you know, at, at this day and of age, you have to trust science. I think that's the only thing we had going for mm-hmm. us was a vaccine for this, uh, for for this pandemic. Uh, but on on that on that hence you had you had truck drivers who were uh, you know 40 years, 45 years, up to 50 years into their into their uh, job, and now they're saying, you know what if If I'm going to be hassled with this mandate, this mandate, I'm going to retire. And a lot of them are doing that.
0: So they're actually just leaving the industry altogether.
2: They're just yeah exactly. They will and and that wasn't only trucking. It was also taxi. It was also uh, other sectors which which were saying you know what
0: yeah, we yeah. we don't okay we'll get vaccinated but hey we're out. Uh, last one before I let you go. When was this announced? Like I, I'm trying to th- find out when was it initially. It
2: was, this was <laughs> it was uh, when it when it actually came in uh, the dates I do I do recall is is nearing December 2nd when everything started uh, making the headlines and okay. everything, but it, it was planned before. It was planned before. Okay. Uh, but the headlines and everything started coming around December 2nd. Uh, that's when I started seeing some articles about it, too. But then again, I think that's, that's right off, right before when when we were hit with Omicron, too.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Amr, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate your insight. We're going to have a discussion, and uh, there's a lot of calls for action here from our provincial government when it comes to um, helping out victims of serious crime in our province. Now for a long time, there was a victims of crime support fund in the province of Alberta, where, you know, if you were the victim of a serious crime and you had court costs or a counseling service, there was funding available for that. And that was up until uh, the summer of 2020 when the province said, you know what, we don't like the system. It's not, we're told it's not working as well as it should be. We're going to get rid of it and bring in something new. Well, now, you know, a year and a half later, there's nothing new. And uh, a lot of advocacy groups are saying, well, where is this plan? We we need something here. People are starting to fall through the cracks. This is not working. So let's get some insight from one of those advocacy groups. Mary Jane James is CEO of the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton, and she joins us now. Uh, Mary Jane, thank you for your time. appreciate it.
3: Good morning, Shay. How are you?
0: I'm excellent. Thank you so much. Um, do I have that right in terms of we had a program up until the summer of 2020, 2020? and then it was gone, and it has not yet been replaced yet. That's accurate, correct?
3: Yes, that's correct. Uh, so in June of 2020, the UCP government introduced Bill 16, which is um, replaced the Victims of Crime Pot Fund, as we knew it, right. and replaced it with the Strengthening uh, Public Safety Amendment Act. So I think one of the um, impetuses for this change was the need to reallocate uh, some of that funding towards um, preventing crime, if you will. So more uh, police officers on the street, more Crown prosecutors, more fish and wildlife people, whatever the case may be. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and tell you that I don't think those uh, increases in in staff on those levels are unnecessary because they very much are. We know that. Uh, you know, uh, crime is is alive and well in our city as it is everywhere else. But <clears throat> insofar as uh, what we do, which is support uh, survivors of sexual violence, um, we've always received funding through this fund, um, which we uh, appropriated to um, counselling, uh, which, you know, uh, it can happen. Here, here's the thing. One of the things that the, one of the very most sensitive and tenuous issues of this new act is that they've reduced um, the, the amount of time where a victim can apply to the victims of crime. crime.
0: Drastically so it to, reduced.
3: Yeah, it, it used to be two years. And they've reduced it to 40 days. And we want to put this into context and understand that there is no statute of limitations for reporting uh, crimes of sexual and domestic violence. There just isn't. So it just, it's a really big stretch to think, okay, on one hand, we're saying, you know, whenever you're ready, you can report. But on the other hand, if you want to get uh, funding to support your healing, you got to do that within 45 days. And it's just, Quite frankly, uh, Shay, it's, it's unrealistic and it's naive uh, for anyone to think that the healing journey of any one person is a straight line or that every person's healing journey is the same. So at the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton, we see uh, clients who've been assaulted or abused, you know, a week later, a day later. Months later and years later, we have 80 year olds who come to us who were abused as children. So there is no, there is no normal, quote unquote, normal time for someone to feel like they can report. And part of that problem, Shay, is that it takes an awful long time to process the experience. One of the most, probably the most egregious. Uh, violations of human rights that someone could ever experience is being sexually violated. So, you know, to assume that everybody is on the same trajectory and that within 45 days they're prepared to sit in front of whoever and tell their their story yet again and be re-traumatized, re-victimized, it's very, very naive and very, very troubling. Um, now, the government says, well, we're doing this
0: because we were told we should. The The program that was in place didn't work well. It was hard to access. There were all kinds of problems. Um, as somebody who's been in this system and dealing with this, you know, the old system, where we are now and what we might get in the future, is that true? How did the old system work?
3: Well, certainly, <laughs> it's working a lot better than the new one is, according to our clients. But, you know, there is no doubt, Shay, I'm not going to, you know, deny that... The, uh, the, the capacity uh, for the demands on our uh, services at safe and, in fact, at sexual assault centers across the province uh, far outstrips our ability to provide those services in what one might think would be an acceptable level of time. Okay. We have uh, an extraordinarily long wait list, longer than we've ever had in our 47 years of service. Um, there is just... An increasing amount of sexual assault happening in our community, both interfamilially and extrafamilially, and you know we you know we we do our best, but we cannot um, we, we cannot. Our problem is resources. All we have is our time, our expertise. We need more money, not less. And the government is very aware of that. And let me say that I. You know, the UCP government has been supportive of the work that we do, and I don't want to be this, uh, you know, a crushing UCP discussion, but I think the folks who are making the decision at this level need to rethink the program in its entirety. So, for instance, the other thing that's really jarring about this is that they are allowing If you get there in 45 days, they're going to allow you $1,000 to seek counselling for what's happened to them. So that would be uh, private practice, I'm assuming. Uh, They could get in earlier, maybe, although, you know, no one knows. But at the rate of private counsellor charges, which is anywhere from, you know, 180 to 250, that gives you four to five sessions, There's no doubt in my mind that those individuals will run out of money and will be back at the doors of SACE, yet again, waiting to retell their story at a place where we offer counselling at no fee because we don't believe that um, financial barriers should stop someone from getting the help that they need and deserve after a crime that's committed against them due to no fault of their own.
0: Right, okay, now the government says they're they're working on getting a program in place, Mary Jane. It's on the way, and they're consulting with stakeholders and groups like yours uh, as to making sure they get it right. Have you been consulted, and do you have any idea when the new act may be brought in?
3: Yes, we've been consulted. There's been a number of round tables where okay. they out, you know they lay out their plan and we lay out our thoughts and 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 are very strongly advocating for the folks that we support. Um, I think there is, as, you know, we've just been through and are still going through the worst economic period, you know, in, in decades. And I think there is, um, you know, so much need in our community, just so much. Mental health uh, concerns are at an all time high. Crime is at an all time high. And, there, and there's only so much money. And we know that COVID has kicked us all in the pants economically and and the government would be no exception to that. And I think they're trying to find a way to, to divest and divert funds to preventing the crime. And that's good. I think that needs to happen too. But we can't, on the other hand, just leave those who've already been impacted, hanging by a thread and falling through the cracks. That's just not fair. That's just not right. And statistically, I can tell you that these people will reemerge in some other social system, be it the health system, be it the education system, be it, you know, whatever it is. Justice system, who knows? Exactly. They're going to be back. Trauma that is experienced like trauma that, you know, happens when someone is sexually violated it can't be brushed away. It can't be, you know, four or five sessions, you're fine. We, our budget, when we budget uh, how many sessions we're going to offer each client that comes through our door, we budget 15 to 20, 15 to 20. Many, many need more. Some, of course, need less. And to put that into context for you of the severity and prevalence of this issue, we have 14 therapists on staff provisionally registered and registered psychologists who see on average five clients a day each. So if you do the math, you will see that we are you know we are full out full on working as hard as we can and do i think there needs to be more money thrown at uh, the prevention piece of sexual violence and every and other crimes absolutely and yeah. we're working on that too but you can't just throw the baby out with the bath water here we've got people who are seriously damaged and need help and we cannot as a society turn our backs on them and tell them that you know we're working on it we're getting something it's it's not okay it's just not
0: no and i think i think most people understand that and i mean that's what the fund is for um mary jane thank you so much for your time this morning i appreciate you joining us and we'll follow up as we go along and uh, eventually the fund is on its way we're told so we'll see what it is when it arrives thanks mary jane